Good morning, Nachum. Good morning, Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Vayetze. Parshas Vayetze is one of the longest parshios. It happens to be 148 psukim. According to the Chinuch, there are none of the Tariag mitzvos in Parshas Vayetze. Take note, everybody, that it is stuma. That means from the first pasuk till the very end. There's not a single, quote, break in the action. It's one long essay. It's one long presentation. And uh, the, uh, well, all our teachers at school would say the content is most superb, but there should have been a pause after each change of idea. I can only suggest one reason. At this point here, there are three Jews in the world. There's Abba, Yitzchak, there's Ima, Rivka, and there's the son, Yaakov. When one-third of the Jewish nation has to go into Golos, meaning is forced to leave the land of Israel, the Torah itself is constricted. The Torah itself is sasum, is taida. The Torah feels the pain of the Jew. In Parshas Vayetze, from beginning to end, we end up with building the Jewish family. We have 11 sons and one daughter born to Yaakov in Parshas Vayetze. And I'd like to focus this morning on an aspect of the narrative. I don't want to use the word S-T-O-R-Y story because I really believe there are no Bible stories. There are only biblical lessons. And I'd like to share with you an aspect of the narrative which I think is exceedingly important. After Yaakov has the majestic dream that God gives him such an incredible insurance policy, he sees the angels going up and down, which our rabbis tell us in the Medrash represent the different powerful nations of world history and all of them ascend, and then they descend. They make their mark, and then they literally lose their place, dominance, and importance in the, on the face of this earth. Take, for example, Spain. At one time, there was the great golden age of Spain. Only when King Ferdinand, Queen Isabella, had the terrible inquisition against the Jew, and the Jews were expelled in 1492. After that, after they mistreat the Jew, as was promised to Avraham at the beginning of Lech Lecha, I will bless those that bless you, those nations that are good to you, I will be good to them, and those that 
curse you, those that um, uh, are terrible to you, or, or I will know how to take vengeance against them. And that has been the pattern of world history. After this incredible dream of Hashem promising Yaakov, that whereas the other nations have a guardian angel, you don't. You have only Hashem Himself. He is your protector. Yaakov then goes to fulfill his mission to find a wife. He comes to Lavan's home and having already met Rachel at the well, he says to Rachel, says to Lavan, his father-in-law, I will work for you seven years for Rachel Bitcha Haktano. He spells it out very clearly. He wants Rachel. And the Torah tells us that in his love for her, the seven years, because it was in her best interest, went by most quickly. Yaakov suspects that his father-in-law, who has a reputation of being the Lavan Ramai, Lavan, who is the cheat, the swindler, he gives Rachel, his bride-to-be, Simonim. He gives her a password that should her father arrange, as indeed he does, for a blackout, and it's completely dark, that in the darkness he should be able to know that it's her, by her giving him the specific Simonim password that the two of them arranged. Little did he know, little did she know, Rachel herself, that at the last moment, she, Rachel, when she sees that her father is indeed making Leah the bride, and not wanting to completely humiliate her sister, she gives over the simonim, the password, to her sister. And so, in the morning, Yaakov awakes and he finds that it is Leah. He comes to his father-in-law and he says to him, Wait a minute, what did you do? This is in chapter 19, Pasuk 25. Hello, Barachel, Ovadati Imach. Did I not work for Rachel? Lama, Rimisani, why have you deceived me? Now, anybody reading this might say to themselves, I don't believe it. Why is Yaakov such a nebish? Forgive me. Why is Yaakov such a lemona? Forgive me. Meaning, why is he such a pushover? Why doesn't he take the baseball bat and at least hold it in his hand and raise his voice and yell to his father-in-law, how could you do this to me? Why doesn't he make a fist and show that he's really ready to punch him in the nose? Why does Yaakov give that impression of being it's that nebish? And I'd like to suggest a very powerful answer. The whole book of Boratius 
is teaching us Derech Eretz Kodmola Torah, that menschlichkeit and being that good individual is a prerequisite for the Torah which comes in the second book. And therefore, Yaakov is teaching us the following important lesson. We have to do our hishtadlus. We have to do our work and whatever we can from our perspective to assure and ensure that our plans will be fulfilled. That which we believe to be correct. I know, says Yaakov, I want to marry Rachel. I will therefore have an insurance policy called the Simoni, the password. When that doesn't work, as indeed to both of their surprise, at that point there, Yaakov yields to a higher authority. Yaakov accepts the teaching of Rabbi Akiva, Kol ma ta'ovid rachmano letav. Whatever God does is for good. Call everything. Everything means everything. Even a decision which is literally the most important decision of your life, whom you're going to marry. Even this, Yaakov realizes, this is beyond my control. And once it is beyond my control, I accept. And interestingly, points out the bear Yosef, a Rashi, that Lavan says afterwards, given that we don't do like you do, we don't give the older in place of the younger, work for me another seven years. And on that Rashi of working for old Sheva Shonim, another seven years, Achiros, what's this other, another seven years, Achiros? Says Rashi, Hekeshon Lorishonos. The seven second ones are equated to the first. Marishonos be'emuna. Just like the first ones were with emuna. Now what does emuna mean? Emuna means literally with faith. Not just that Yaakov is faithful as we see at the end of the parsha, that he is so honest, so careful with Lavan, though Lavan is constantly deceiving him, but I'd like to say that Rashi means very literally, Marishonos Pe'emuna, just as the first seven were with faith that Yaakov had in Hashem, so too Achronos Pe'emuna, so too the second set of seven were also with faith, that Yaakov has faith in God, that this is what Hashem wants. And indeed, points out the Be'er Yosef, incredible, that if you fast forward in Jewish history, when, unfortunately, the second Beis Amigdash is about to be destroyed. Forgive me, the first Beis Amigdash is about to be destroyed. So, Hashem says, oh my goodness, we must have some tfilos here. Wake up the ovos and let them pray. And 
Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, and Moshe all prayed to Hashem that he should not destroy the Beis Hamikdash, and to no avail. Comes Rachel Imenu, and Rachel says to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, "How could you do this? Look what I did. I allowed a rival, my sister, to go in my place." I gave this up, and you are disturbed over your rival, the Avodah Zorah? Come on. And you know what Hashem says? Hashem says, I listen, I accept Rachel's tefillah, and therefore, yesh tikvah there is hope. For your petitioning, Rachel, v'shavu banim ligvulam. Hashem promised that we would return from Galus in the schus of Rachel. So while nobody at that moment could see the good, Yaakov Avinu teaches us, you do yours. And after that, whatever happens, we really have to have the true faith in Hashem of Gam Zulatova. Rav Galinsky writes in his Sefer, Vigadita, that Loaleinu, a Rosh Hashiva, in Eretz Yisrael, lost a daughter who had been sick, who was in constant need of oxygen. And she once had an attack, and they couldn't find a tank. And Loaleinu, she died. And shortly thereafter, they found in her room not one, but several tanks. And the family, understandably, was most distraught. Rav Galinsky came to me, Menachem and he said to the family that, listen carefully, we believe in bitachon, in faith, and we believe in ishtadlus. Ishtadlus means doing all that you can. As you move forward in a crisis, you do whatever you can. But after, unfortunately, it's happened, afterwards there's only room for bitachon. There's no more room for shtadlis afterwards. If only someone would have looked here, if someone would have looked there. My goodness, oh no. After it happened, there's only room for bitachon. Kol mad Rachmana letav. Whatever HaKadosh Baruch Hu does, is only and always for the good. Yaakov is not a lemela. Yaakov is not a nebish. All the shepherds, later on in the parsha, all the shepherds, when Yaakov comes to Haran, what happens, listen carefully, the, um, the shepherds cannot, any one of them, move the stone that's on top of the well, and Yaakov single-handedly does it. What does that show? He's a man of principle. He's a man of action. Why doesn't he take the baseball bat here to his father-in-law? Why doesn't he raise a fist to his father-in-law? Because he realizes, after we do our ishtadlis, then the rest is to accept and have bitochon. People invest so much in business. They put in the Ishtadlas. If it doesn't go, Bitochons has to set in. People put investing in a Shiduch and then a lot of time and effort. And if it doesn't work, 
You have to understand, bitachon, this is not what Hashem wanted. People are stuck in traffic. They don't realize, oftentimes, that it is in their best interest. Yaakov Ovinu teaches us a very important lesson. Koma, to Ovid Rachmona, the Tav Ovid. Yaakov couldn't see that Rachel's response, uh, giving over the Simonim, would help Klal Yisrael literally a thousand years later. Koma, to Ovid Rachmona, Litav, how powerful this has to be for each and every one of us. Shabbat Shalom to all.